Well, my friends, it is good to be here today with you. I am glad to uh, be able to bring the Word of God. I'm glad that I could also be here to spend time with the men. I like man time. Man time's good, especially with those ribs and the, all the chicken and the, the good food that we had. It was fantastic. Um, as we work through the men's retreat, um, we kind of work through this progress of, of just talking about our faith and how there should be evidence of that faith and then how we should be examples of that faith. And then we moved on to a passage where we just dealt with what if we've ruined things? What if we've, what if we've gone off the road and we want to get back on track? And how do we get back on track? And how do we go from ruin to restoration to be renewed that way? And we kind of end at the men's retreat there. Um, and at the retreat, I just said, you know, being restored is for a purpose. We sit here as wanting to be restored so that we can be servants of God and we are to bless others. See, we, it's not man-centered worship. It's not about just us. It's about God taking us, restoring us so that we can be equipped for Him to do something for Him, impactful for the kingdom. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning in terms of how do we as a church have an impact for God and His kingdom. So I'm going to be talking from the book of Acts. If you turn to Acts chapter 11... I'll get there in a little bit, but I want to ask this question first. What if, what if we were to do church a little bit differently? What if we were to dream a little bit about what the church should be about? You see, this, this little question, what if, is really how dreams come about and we see progress in life. I mean, it was some day a long time ago that some person went outside and, you know, they went out on a, on a, on a cloudless night and they looked up in the sky and they saw all the stars and they saw the moon and they're like, you know what? What if, what if I could go there someday? Wouldn't that be awesome? It was some geek that was in his home that's sitting and he's just typing on his old typewriter and, and he's like, and he gets his like, this, this vision and he says, Oh, what if I could like type and words would magically appear on some kind of screen in front of me? And what if I could just like hit a button and it goes off and I could talk to somebody on the other side of the world. Wouldn't that be wild? What if? It was two brothers that went outside one day and they looked at the birds flying around and they're like, man, wouldn't that be so cool if we could do that? Take off like those birds and somehow fly through the air? That would be amazing if we could do that. Do you get the point? You see, it's where dreams start. And what we know is common things today, the computer, the internet, going to the moon and, and, and flying around the world, it's common to us. But it started with a dream. What if? Any dreamers in here? Do I got any dreamers? Well, I know that if there's dreamers, and we're going to ask that about the, about the church in a minute, we also have realists. 
They're the ones that are going to say, okay, let's come down to earth, pal. Okay, any realists in here? Okay, come on. I want to see your hands. That's good. We need you realists. I'm a dreamer, but we need you realists. So let's start off with the real, the realist question, because if, if what if is the imagination, then reality is going to say, well, what if we're wrong? What if we've done things wrong? And I want to be a realist first, and then we'll dream a little bit. What if we have been doing church wrong? See, I think there's some evidence out there that says that we may have, we may be doing, some in the church may be doing something wrong. Not, maybe not here at Fellowship, I don't know. But maybe somewhere in the world we've done church a little bit wrong. Here's some statistics from people that do study of the church. And I want you to see this. Here's one stat. Uh, one stat tells us that 10 years ago, we had nearly 39 million Americans who were unchurched, and now we have 76 million Americans unchurched. That's a pretty good stat. So, uh, the second stat, there's over 6 billion people in the world, and we know that, on, that over 1.5 billion of these people have not even heard the name of Jesus Christ. We also know that over the last 10 years... There's been an average of 3,500 churches that have closed their door on a yearly basis. That's a lot of churches closing their door. See, I think we kind of have this crisis in the United States, and we have, in a sense, a crisis in the world. But I don't believe God is worried, because He has a commission, and He will fulfill it in His way. And he, but He wants to use you and I to do that. What is His commission? Matthew 28, you've heard it many times, it says this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. Now soon after Jesus says this, it's interesting, one of the greatest movements in the world started right at this point. What happened is that some of the disciples, and this was kind of God's formula, they were to go, they were to leave the place that they knew, and they were to go and they were to share, and when they would go and they would share, then people heard the message, and as a result, they became believers. And as a result of becoming believers, those individuals started worshiping God, and that's why we do missions. John Piper says that, um, missions exist because worship doesn't. And there's places around the world where worship isn't happening. There's probably places in our own communities where worship is not happening. Anybody think there's a few more people that can worship the Lord in this community? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why we are to do this. That's what God wants us to do. So the question is, do we see it happening today? Do we see it happening in our church? Do we see it happening in the community that is around us? So let's dream for a minute. What if? What if Fellowship Bible Church could be that church that is on the cutting edge of doing exactly what God wants? Maybe there would be more churches that we would plant. Or would we just stay the same? I think we would progress. What if? We were to do exactly what God wants us to do. 
See, what I'm talking about today is not changing God's plan, but for us to evaluate from the Scriptures what God's plan is and how we could be carrying that out in our world. See, I think this is why it is vital that we go to God's Word and we see what God has to say. Now, we're going to be looking at the Antioch Church here in a moment. And you'd say, well, Steve, the Antioch Church, I mean, that church was like 2,000 years old. What does it have to teach us today? Well, I think if we look at it, we're going to see several things. We're going to see that the original church, this church in Antioch, that's in Acts chapter 11 and 13, had a heart that I want to emulate. They had a mindset that I want to emulate. They had their hands active in ministry that I want to emulate. That's what I want. I desire that for Maranatha Bible Church. I desire that for Fellowship Church. Because here's the deal. If we can can emulate that kind of ministry, then we will be a movement and not a monument. Do you know the difference between a movement and a monument? Monuments... Stand still, okay? Movements move. Now, if you go over to Europe, you can see lots of monuments, okay, of dead people. Or you go to, you go to churches that are now museums and they have these little red velvet cords that rope off the, the platform or the podium that some great preacher preached at. And you can pay money for admission and go in and see those places. My friends, I don't want that. See, a movement is something that's progressive. A movement is mobilized. It's living. It's active. We want that, don't we? We don't want a monument. So let us learn from what happened in Acts in the Antioch church. Now turn your Bibles to Acts 11 verse 19 is where we're going to be starting. Now let me set the context as, as you find that verse. The context is this. The Antioch city was a city that was 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And as a result, this this city was pretty decked out. I mean, they had bathhouses, they had street lights, they had gambling that went on at the races. I mean, everything that you could imagine they had going on there. And because it was a seaport city, it was a collection of all kinds of cultures that were in that church. See, it was in this city that we see believers all of a sudden come into that city. Now, you don't have to turn there, but let me read something from Acts chapter 8, verse 1. What do I mean? How did the believers eventually get up to Antioch? Well, it happened this way. It says in Acts chapter 8, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. We know that when the church was persecuted in Acts chapter 8, they eventually make their way up to Antioch. And we'll see that in a minute. Now, can I just point out something about this persecuted, scattered church? God had told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, just before he ascended, he says, guys, come on all around here. Um, I want to tell you what's going to go on here. Um, I'm going to leave here, but when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Got it? Geographical locations. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. In other words, go out. 
out. That's what I want you to do. Jesus ascends. Acts chapter 2, guess what happens? Holy Spirit comes. Guess what should be happening by this point? Some of them start going because the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was kind of the starting gun to the race and they should be going by now. But Acts chapter 3, they're in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 4, they're still in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 5, guess where they're at? Jerusalem. Acts chapter 6, Jerusalem, yes. Acts chapter 7, Jerusalem. So by the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned and persecution breaks out and they're scattered. Now, I just here's my observation. There's plan A and there's plan B of how we do church planning. Plan A would have been Acts 1.8. Go intentionally. Plan B is Acts 8.1 that says, I'll scatter you. Now, God wants them to go no matter what. So we either do it intentionally, plan A, or God has to scatter them. But God's going to get his job done one way or another, even if he has to scatter them. In modern day times, I believe this is what you call church splits in Acts 8.1. Sometimes God splits churches. He allows it. Because it's His glory. It's about His name. It's about His renown. Oh yeah, there's all kinds of problems that are mixed in there. But it's all about His church spreading. By the way, I've been a part of a church split, which was plan B. I'd rather do A from now on, okay? I'm just Take my, my advice. Plan A is always the best plan. So we're here, here's what happens. These believers are scattered, and this is where we're going to learn about the Antioch church. The first thing we learn is their heart. Take a look at chapter 11, verse 19 to 21. Now those who had been scattered by persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, uh, Cyprus, Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. I'll get back to that little phrase in a minute. Some of them, however, went from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, what we see here is we see a church starting to develop. We're seeing it right in its infancy, infancy form. And it's an awesome thing to see the vibrancy that takes off because there's a handful of believers. They're starting to share their faith. They're, they're given the good news. We see more worshipers and more worshipers are telling other people of the change in their life. And it's an awesome thing to see this church develop. And I actually see three things that develop in this church that we learn to identify in this church. The first thing I see is that these people were contagiously, constantly sharing their grace story. We're seeing it right here in this passage. They're telling their story about how they were changed. You say, Steve, what's a grace story? What are you talking about? What's their story? Everybody has a story. You have a story. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, how many of you are believers in Jesus Christ? Probably most everybody here, okay? You have a story of how God touched you, how he took you out of the muck and the mire of this world. He dusted you off. He cleaned you up. And because you believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the good news, 
you were placed on a path of righteousness. And God says, now you're mine. You're redeemed. You are my ambassadors. I want you to share that. And that's exactly what we see in these people. They're sharing their grace story in a contagious type of way. You can't stop them from telling their grace story. It's like talking about the person you love the most. Now, if you want me to start talking about my wife... I will tell you right away how much I love that woman. She has stuck through a whole lot dealing with me. But she's a good woman. I could tell you all day. But let me tell you about my Jesus too. See, this was the heart attitude that they had. As we apply this to today, I think that there's a few problems that we have in, in us taking on this heart. Here's a, few, a couple obstacles. Number one, as I think, as I have observed the church, I see a lack of urgency amongst believers. When I read the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, I see a compelling, a compulsion of Paul that says, i got to do this. And I don't know if I see that in us. This is what Paul says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died and therefore uh, uh, Christ died. I'm sorry, convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Then Paul goes on and he says, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Now here's the, 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 the sense of urgency of Paul. He's like, we got to do it. We got to be his ambassador. Why is there such, a, such, a, such an urgency? Well, I want you to think about what God did. God took thousands of years of history wrapped up in his son, Jesus Christ. It was predicted in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God said, I'm going to provide a redeemer through the woman's seed. And throughout the Old Testament... There is this prediction that the Messiah is going to come. And then the Messiah does come. He lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross. He resurrects from the grave. And after some time, he ascends into heaven. He says, oh, here, you're going to be my witnesses. And so it's like this beautiful package of redemption has now been carefully handed off to you and I. And so it's given to you and to you and to you and to you and every believer that's here. It's been given to you. Woo! Man, I'm excited. And this is what happens a lot of times. We get this message and we say, okay, God, uh, I'll share it a little bit later. I'm going to do it when I'm, I'm ready, okay? And then we go into a lifetime of learning how to share the gospel, maybe 10, 15, 20 years. And then we start realizing, you know what? I'm not exactly gifted this way. There's other people that can share their story better. In fact, they have the gift of evangelism. And you know what? I'm going to root them on. Woo! You go! Yes! I love it when you share the Lord that way. That's awesome. But the problem is... He gave us, each individually, the job of being His ambassador. My friends, is there an urgency to share that or is it up on the shelf? One church leader put it this way. He said this, The first big idea driving many churches is to create a church that meets the needs of its members. Now, hear what he's saying. And since so many people have such deep spiritual needs, there is much good in this approach. 
But often, it also leads to an unhealthy consequence. Needs soon, soon turn to once. A toxic self-absorption can easily develop. Us becomes all that matters. Spiritual impact is rarely contemplated beyond the borders of the church property. Is that us? Here's the second obstacle to us sharing our grace story in a contagious way. My friends, sometimes we take the most unnatural approach to sharing the gospel. So we go into training and we we learn uh, in evangelism on how to share the gospel through the evangel cube. And so we're like, we get an opportunity. It's like, oh my goodness. Okay, great, great. Hold on. Um, Let me get my cube out. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, it's not coming very easy. Sorry, whoever's box I just tore. Okay, and so, okay, instructions there. Now, what was it that they said? Man, this is all mixed up. How do I do that? Okay, wait, hold on, please. Wait, save, save, okay. Oh, yeah, it's right here. Okay, show man is a sinner separated from God. Okay, where is that on here? Okay. Oh. Well, you know, I'll forget about this right now. Okay. Um, I, I learned another method. Okay. The bracelet. Okay. What was black? Okay. Black was... Oh, you are a sinner and you're going to go to hell. Man, oh, mess that up. You know, my friends, I'm not trying to make fun of evangelistic methods. Actually, I've used the Evangel Cube in other places in the world. I've used the wordless bracelet. I've used the bridge illustration. I used the Romans Road. But sometimes we complicate it because the easiest thing that we can do that all of us have right now is your story. No one can refute your story. And I'm going to give you a tool that will make evangelism, I think, very, very easy. If you do this, I believe you'll increase how much you share your faith. You have opportunities to talk to a coworker or a friend. So you're at lunch together and you say, hey, tell me your story. Tell me your story. They say, well, what do you mean my story? Well, everybody has a story. What's your story? Well, yeah, okay, I grew up this way and, you know, and it's not an evangelistic story. It doesn't have God in it, but they share their story. Guess what they're going to probably say next? Hey, what's your story? And that's how it happens naturally. And I honestly believe that there was something contagious because they were living in community with people that did not know the Lord. Do you know that many Christians, after the first three years that they're saved, have abandoned all lost friendships? That's not what God wants. There has to be a sense of urgency. Let me move on. I believe also that there was uh, evidence in their life that indicated their heart. Not only were they sharing their grace story, but they were a worshiping community. Take a look at verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to, to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them, encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. 
He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians first at Antioch. Now here's what we see here. I I would call this a worshiping community. Now I'm not talking about somebody sitting around playing the organ or playing their guitar or whatever and singing songs. That may have happened in their life. They probably worshiped God like that on the day that they met the first day of the week. But I believe it went way beyond that. Their worship reflected in their life. All of a sudden, they were changing from the inside out. And Joe, who used to cheat everybody, is now being an honest man, a man filled with integrity. He's sharing his story with people. It's interesting, the phrase Christian means of the party of Christ. And I believe that the the atmosphere that existed in Antioch, it was the lost community that were kind of identifying these people as the party of Christ. I don't know if a if the if a prophet came along and said, "Boy, this is they're called Christians," but I think it was first identified by the lost people in the community, saying, "Man." Joe used to rip me off, man, but now he's not doing that anymore. There's something different. He's of the party of Christ. You know, what party do people see us of? Do they just see us of the Republican Party? Or of the Democrat Party? Or of the Independent Party? Do they know us more by our political persuasion? More so than our belief in Jesus Christ. I believe it, is, it would be an awesome thing if people looked at people from fellowship and just said, and I'm hoping this is happening, and saying, you know what, I don't know what is happening on that Yellow Springs or whatever river road you live on, Flowing Springs Road. <laughs> but man, there's something different happening there. They're of the party of Jesus. There's something about them. That, I mean, they're impacting people, and I want to be a part of that. Here's the question. Is that true of us? Is that true of us? Are we of the party of Christ? You see, I believe the goal that Jesus has for us, that we see in the example of the Antiochs, is that we would build bridges into the world. We cannot stay isolated in this, on this postage stamp size lot. And it's a pretty good postage stamp, by the way. Uh, I mean, but we can't be confined here. It has to go way beyond that. Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your uh, good deeds and praise the Father in heaven. You see, if we are a worshiping community that is so enriched with God and so enamored with God, then it's going to affect us way outside of these walls. And my friends, I'm not trying to add an additional burden upon anybody. This is as we're going about life. You know, I know a lot of you guys work a lot of hours. You travel a long distance. But you know what? We work 40, 50 hours around people. There's co-workers, there's friends, there's relatives, there's neighbors. They might be next door to us, but we need to start there, right in our everyday life. This is what God wants us to be. 
Now, the third evidence, not only did they share their grace story, they were a worshiping people, but here's the third evidence I see in this church is that they, uh, they were stepping over dividing lines and dividing walls. Take a look. Flip over to chapter 13. Two years has passed by. This church is much more developed, and we see a leadership team arise in chapter 13, verse 1. It says, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, and Saul. Now what we learn about this, you say, well, Steve, is there anything really significant about these leaders? Well, yeah, absolutely. Because these leaders reflected different nationalities. There was Africans, there was Jews, there were Greeks. It was becoming very mixed up in the body of Christ. Now I will say it didn't start out that way. Just flip back really quick to chapter 11. Remember that verse I kind of skimmed over? Verse 19. After they uh, were persecuted and spread out to those places, it says they went from Antioch telling the message what? Only to the Jews. See, they started off with all kinds of prejudice. The Jews hated the Gentiles. They hated the Gentiles. And God had to start breaking through these cultural barriers. And when He started breaking through these barriers, He helped them to understand that it's not about Jew, it's not about Gentiles, not about race, it's not about social standings in life. The barriers of, uh, the barriers were broken down through the cross. Read Ephesians chapter 2. The partition is gone. And now it's not about black, it's not about white, it's not about red, it's not about our social standing. It is about Jesus Christ. And I am so thankful as I look in this congregation, I see a growing congregation of different nationalities here. That's an awesome thing. It's looking a little bit more like heaven. It should reflect the community that we live in. So how is it today that we have dividing walls between us? I think there's certainly ethnic walls that we have, but I also think that there are heart attitudes of pride that we have against churches. I know that there are other churches in my community, and I know some of the attitudes of our own people towards those churches. Some of them that are proclaiming the gospel. They may not align completely doctrinally with Maranatha, but you know what? We have chosen as a church to start praying for our different brothers and sisters. On Sunday mornings, we this is just our application, we started praying for our Assembly of God brothers and sisters. No, we don't speak in tongues. They do. But I'm still going to pray for them because they proclaim the gospel. Okay? We started praying for uh, some of the, the Methodist brothers that I know that are proclaiming the gospels. And we're asking God to allow the gospel to succeed there. See, Jesus said in John 17, may they be one. And somehow we've developed this territorial silo mentality where we, we kind of think it's about us. I was at an activity uh, that Mark was at last summer. And I overheard a conversation of somebody in our body, so this doesn't reflect good on us. But somebody in our church, there was a church across the way that was very much like Maranatha, and uh, there was a, somebody from that church, and con- conversation went like this. They're sitting there talking, hey, what church do you go to? Oh, yeah, I go to the chapel. Yeah, and are you here at Maranatha? Yeah. And the person from Maranatha says, you know what? You need to try our church. 
Why do we do that? Do you know what we've just said? We've said our church is better than your church, so you better come over here. You know what I wanted them to say? You know what? We pray for you. And we're praying that the gospel would succeed in your church. Because, my friends, it's not about us building a tower. You know, every time we build towers, it doesn't end well. Remember in Genesis, you know, it it didn't end well. God says, we're not building a name for our glory. We're building something for God's kingdom. He had told them to go and multiply in the earth. And they said, no, let's collect here. Let's build something big. And that's the problem with wanting to gain a mega church. God doesn't want us to have that mindset. The heart of the Antioch was one of unity, not disunity. Do we have the heart of the Antioch believer? Well, I only have five minutes left, but I do want to say something about the head of the Antioch and the hands. Very quickly. Here was the head of the Antioch. If you read on in chapter 13, I'll let you study it, but you'll see that under the the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that the church leaders said, hey... I want you to set aside Paul and Barnabas to go out and to plant churches. Now, mind you that Paul and Barnabas were in the leadership team of the church. That meant that they were probably some of the most influential people in their congregation. Now, if it would have been me, if I, you know, I would have been tempted to say, you know, God, I think you got that one wrong, okay? I mean, forgive me, but I think, you know, you don't, you don't need Paul and Barnabas. I mean, there are Mac Daddies, man. They are, they're it. They, there are, it's like taking our ace pitcher, man. Why would you do that? You know what? There's some people I really don't like that well. Um, maybe you could take them. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? No. Okay. See, God sends the best all the time. He sends, and it should create gaping holes within your ministry. But guess what happened in that church? Because they thought missionally, because it was in their mind that, yes, this is what the Lord wants, and it's not about us building something for ourselves. It's not about being a collective community. It's about being a distributing community. All of a sudden, we see Paul and Barnabas going out, and over a 16-year period, we see over 30 cities affected by the gospel. Take a look at this map. All of a sudden, there are cities all over the place that God plants for the gospel. And we see a place that is dark, dark in their understanding. All of a sudden, every one of those cities had a pillar of truth, had light, had a witness, had a testimony. And now we see silence go to worshipers, 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 all because they had the mind of Christ. The question is, do we have the mind of Christ? The last thing I'll point out is that these believers had the hands of Christ as well and and the feet of Christ because they were willing to give sacrificially. If you were to turn just at the very end of chapter 11, look at this. 
there was a problem. There was a problem with the Jerusalem church. And it says in verse 29, the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And really what we see is it cost them time, it cost them money to go out and help other ministries, even ministries that weren't that far away. How do we make application to this? Here's personal, a couple personal, there's a personal application and a corporate application. Personally, we need to invest time into lost people as we kind of summarize this message We need to be able to pray for people. I have a card like this that I've done with some of our believers at Maranatha where I've asked them to just think through who are the people you're going to pray for. Just start by praying for individuals that you're working with. Maybe somebody at school. Maybe it's somebody in your workplace. Maybe it's that irritant person that is irritating person that's right next to you in the cubicle that you've complained more about, but you really haven't talked to God. Well, you've talked to God by, Lord, I can't stand this guy. But let's change that prayer a little bit to, Lord, help me to reach this guy. You see, out of sight is out of mind, but if you are looking this at this on a daily basis, just a quick story. I, I've been praying for some of our neighbors for some time. And one day, one of the neighbors that I was praying for, his name is Bob, he comes up with his wife and their stroller, and we're talking, and he goes, you know, Steve, I got a question for you. I said, yeah. I, he says, um, I just don't know what this church thing's all about. Do you think we could talk about that sometime? I said, no, I don't really got time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's do that. And that broke us out into a study for seven weeks going through the book of Mark, and we did that together. It was a great time. Uh, Just more recently, our other neighbors that we started praying for, I went over to their house and I found that there was an interest in, in like the rescuing of girls from the sex trade and we started talking about it. And so they said the same thing. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is contagious because they asked me, they said, Steve, I'd like, we'd like to talk about this whole church thing because it really confuses us. And so we got together to talk. I believe all that happened because I started praying. It wasn't me. God's the seeker. He's the one that does the work. All I got to do is join God by praying. Corporately, we need to invest our monies. We need to invest our time. We need to be invested on a sacrificial level. And I know you're doing that. So what if? What if we had the heart the head, the hands of the Antioch church. I believe we would see an explosion of God's grace where we would see the landscape of our community change for the gospel. And that would be an awesome thing. Maybe that's happening in a beautiful way here at Fellowship, but I have a feeling you're a lot like us at Maranatha. We have a long way to go. But my prayer is that we would do that And that as the body of Christ, he would do something special. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for how good you are to us. And we ask that you would do something special in each of our hearts. And Lord, I just thank you for Pastor Van. I thank you for the leaders here at Fellowship. And I just pray, Father, that you would continue your work in your way. And we pray that in Christ's name.
Amen.